All right, Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. Are you, are you ready for Malachi? All right, stand up in the honor of reading of God's word. All right, Malachi 2, verse 10. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves, guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. I asked you if you were ready. I asked you, right? And if you've been with us in Malachi over the last couple weeks, you know Malachi's not pulling any punches, all right? The Lord through his prophet Malachi is not pulling any punches, okay? And he is getting to the heart of the things that are taking place, right? To deal in the weeds, to deal with just symptoms and things like that really doesn't do anybody any good, okay? God's like, I'm going to go straight to the heart of my people. In this case, the nation of Israel, all right? For those of us in the new covenant, that's us as believers, disciples in Jesus Christ. He wants to get to our heart, all right? Because here's what happens. Um, some of you are like, okay, I'm trying to get that picture. Maybe you'll understand it with this. You ever see those weddings or I do a lot of weddings where you go into the reception and there's this cake, right? Those of you who've been brides, or those of you who desire to be brides, you've already thought of that cake. You know they got the cake in the mind, that one. And uh, I'll walk into these receptions, and I'll look at the cake, and I'm like, wow. Or maybe you've watched some of like, these new, like, real popular baking shows, really these baking, and, and the cakes are like, whoa. But one of the things I've noticed about these cakes at these weddings is like how they get so beautiful, how they look so pretty and pristine, right, is something called fondant, Right? And me being a baking expert, here's what I know about fondant. It tastes disgusting, right? It's nasty. But from afar, right? You're checking with me. From afar, it's like, ooh, that makes it pretty. Oh, that looks good. That can, ah, but where, where does it really matter? Okay, bride's good. But for the rest of us, like, where does it really matter, right? The cake, the stuff I'm actually eating or putting in my mouth, right? Is it good or is it bad? And here's what the Lord is doing. is He's going, nation of Israel... You've got like a fondant faith, all right? You got the facade, you've got the form, but the substance, the heart, is really far away from me. It's ugly. It's sick. You see, probably when I read that passage out loud, the words you picked up on, or maybe one word, I'll just give one word that you really picked up on that you think this whole passage or section is about, is divorce. Maybe intermarriage. That's not what this passage is about. God uses those two things, and I'll uh, explain those here in a second. 
But Malachi's message in this section is actually pretty simple. Malachi's message in this section is this. Don't forget where you came from. And don't forget who called you. Don't forget where you came from. And don't forget who called you. Okay, last week, God introduced himself and he says, I'm your father and I'm also your, your, your Lord or your master. So we looked at father and we looked at master, if you remember that. This week, if you have your Bible, just keep it open because we'll walk through this. Verse 10. He says, have we not all one father? He's talking to a nation. He's talking to a group of people. He's going, have we not all one father? Capital F, meaning Yahweh, meaning God. Like, as a nation, we have one God, it's Yahweh. And everybody there would have been like, yeah, we've got one, one father, right? And it's this idea of a relationship. It's this idea of affection. But then he goes and says something else. Like last week he said, Master, here's what he says next about him. Has not one God, that God, created us? So now he just threw another thing in there. And he said, okay, there is one God. But did that one God not do what? Create us. So now he puts up father and creator. Now, every time in the Old Testament, we see the word create. Every time we see the word create, it is attached to mean God's divine, sovereign authority. God's divine, sovereign authority. So here in Malachi, essentially what God is saying is God is going, yes, I am your father, but you need to understand this about me as well, is that I am the sovereign authority overall. I'm the creator God, not just by what he does, but by who he is. He is the creator. He is the divine sovereign authority. So he's reminding the people of God this, that that God who is father, yes, who made a covenant with you in your nation, right? Abraham, all of your fathers before you. He's the divine authority. And here's what should amaze us about that. He picked you. So where you came from and who called you, that the divine authority who could have picked anything, he's sovereign over it all. Chose you, Israel. Okay, fast forward to us. We must not forget from where we came and from who called us. So for us, here's the reality of our God. That calling, that choosing, he could have chose anyone in the planet, but yet he chose a rebel like you and me to call as a son and daughter. How amazing is that? But something we say around here a lot is this, is that we're a forgetful people. True. Yeah, we're all kind of nodding. And we really picked that up as we went through Exodus and other books uh, like that. But there's a ramification to forgetfulness. Like there's a consequence to that. Like we can't just go, yeah, we're just a bunch of forgetful people without understanding that forgetfulness leads to something. And so here's a point I want to make and then unpack it because I think this is what Malachi is doing. That forgetfulness will inevitably lead to faithlessness. That forgetfulness will inevitably lead to faithlessness. This is a pas- passage and section about faithlessness. It's not about divorce, okay? Faithless, the word faithless in this passage is used about six times the amount of the word divorce. Okay? And so we're, we're going to talk through that. But this is about forgetfulness that leads to faithlessness. What did the Israelites forget? What did we forget? What do we forget as a forgetful people? Well, what they forgot was God's word, God's commands. And by the way, this is always the lead on what we forget. This is the lead on what we forget. Remember last series, we talked about God's authority. And even in the garden, how did Satan 
How did he, he try to lure Adam and Eve away with this phrase? Did God really say? Did God really say X, Y, Z? That's the temptation in all of our lives. That the enemy comes and goes, did God really say? When he said this, okay, even if you remember, did he really mean that? What is, what's trying to happen? It's trying to put you and me in the seat of authority to call the shots. To be the one who says, yeah, God did say that, or no, God didn't say that. But what God's people and the nation of Israel had forgotten were God's commands to them. Proof of this, he lays out two evidences. And this is where he uses evidence number one as we walk through the passage. Israel marrying unbelievers. What he says here, you have given yourselves to daughters of a foreign God. You say, well, where did God talk about that? Has God said anything to them about this? Yes, he has. Scripture interprets scripture, right? Don't just make stuff up. Point to it. Deuteronomy 7, verse 3. You shall not intermarry with them. Them meaning foreign nations. Nations that don't worship Yahweh. Nations that don't have the one true God as their God. Okay? Giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. God clearly says it there. But what's happening in Israel in Malachi's day? They're marrying all of these people in pagan nations, right? Now, about 50 years ago, 60 years ago, people would point to this verse. And I want to correct this clearly in our community. Point to this verse talking about interracial marriages and how God um, did not believe in those, was not for those. That is an absolute, that is completely false. That is a complete misuse and abuse of the scriptures. This is not about interracial marriages. This is about marrying as a believer, a non-believer. This is what the scriptures talk about being unequally yoked. This has nothing to do with ethnicity or race. This has everything to do with religion and marrying believer and non-believer. You say, I, I, don't, I don't understand the big deal. Maybe you're here and you're, you're not married. You're like, Kyle, haven't you heard of something called missionary dating? Right? Ever heard of that? I have. Flirt to convert. Heard it as well. Um, and God's word would be, believer, don't do it. Right? Don't, don't participate. That's his commitment. That's his, but God, did God really say that? Does God really? I mean, does he really care? He really does care, believer. Why does God care? Well, God understands the problem, Right? He understands the problem in coming into a marriage covenant with an unbeliever, having a different worldview by which they view things. That merging those two lenses are incompatible. That as Christ followers, as Christians, we have a certain system and lens by which we view the world. And an unbeliever, understandably, does not look through the same lens. And so God gives these commands. He gives these parameters. What Psalm 16, they're pleasant because God's going, I know what works best. I'm the designer. I know what is good for you and is going to bring me most joy and glory. And God says, listen, this is not how I designed it. But Israel, they were pursuing and they were, they were marrying those in foreign lands who worshiped foreign gods. That's evidence number one of their faithfulness, faithlessness. You've lost sight. You've forgotten what God said. Evidence number two. Evidence number two is what he writes about in verses 13 really through the end. In verse 16, divorce. Now, again, this is not, I'm not going to give a teaching on divorce here because I don't think that the text calls for it. I have taught on divorce. We've taught on divorce here, particularly when we went through the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 10, a few years back at the 
beginning part of Mark 10, you can look at that. But what was happening here with the Israelites is that the men were divorcing their, or issuing divorce certificates of divorce for absolutely unbiblical reasons. They were just divorcing them here and there and everywhere. And God's going, listen, I will not have a part of that. You don't understand my covenant with you if that's how you're treating your covenant with your spouse, right? Things that don't actually exist but exist in our culture, right? Things like no-fault divorce or what you can see plastered on a window in downtown McKinney that says soft divorce because divorce doesn't have to be easy or doesn't have to be hard. That's a tagline in our square. That's garbage. Divorce is a severing. Divorce is a death. And, And listen, I say that being a child from a divorced home. I understand those things. I also understand the, the, the weight and the gentleness to which I want to handle this topic. But God is very clearly talking about unbiblical divorces here among his people. And he's talking about faithlessness and he's pointing to the greatest covenant, earthly covenant we have, which is between a husband and a wife. That the marriage covenant for us is a picture of how Christ, the bridegroom, and his relationship with the church, his bride, is meant to look. That a divorce portrays a picture of Christ abandoning his church, which he will never do. Praise God. He's going to the Israelites. He's going, listen, this divorce that you guys are participating in looks as if my covenant with you is just, it's really based on emotion. A covenant is not based on emotion. It's based on a promise. Go back to Malachi chapter 1, verse 2. What I said was the foundation of all this. What are the first words that roll out of God's mouth in Malachi before he starts dropping the hammer? I've loved you. My covenant, I've, I've loved you, meaning I, I have, I do, and I will forever. Listen, if, if, if we, we have given God millions of reasons to divorce us, okay? But praise God that his covenant is not conditional, it's unconditional with us. And so he's going, but it's confusing when your covenant as spouses is just getting thrown out the window for whatever reason you want. That's not who I am. That's not who I am. You see, when you and I begin to disregard God's commands, no sin, hear me, no sin is beyond our justification. When we begin to go, okay, God's commands will kind of take them or leave them. God's commands, uh, you know, did he really say that? When we begin to play that game, that slippery slope, we will be able to justify away any sin in our lives. You see, when you begin to feel dissatisfied in your marriage, look at me. When there is dissatisfaction in your union, Ultimately, hear me, you are not, first and foremost, dissatisfied with your spouse. You're dissatisfied with God. Dissatisfaction is not first linked with your spouse, your husband, or your wife. It is first dissatisfaction with God. And when you are ultimately dissatisfied with God, you will begin to seek all kinds of forbidden fixes. That's what's happening here in Israel. It wasn't that they were dissatisfied with their wife or with their husband. It's that ultimately they were dissatisfied with God. God, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you providing this? I'm not happy here. I don't have this feeling. I don't want this, that, or the other. I want want that. And so what did they begin to do? They began to take matters into their own hands, issuing certificates of divorces and marrying whoever they pleased. And God goes, stop. Stop. For us, it's the same way. He said, I never go to divorce. 
Divorce? I don't want to wear that scarlet letter in the church. Oh, so you'll go to other sources and outlets. You go to other relationships, other things. As fixes to ultimately a fix that can only be solved by God himself. You understanding how dissatisfied you are with his operation. You see, the only cure for that is for God to change and realign your heart. That's what he's saying to Israel. They've got all the form. Didn't you hear that cooked within this? They were still going to the altars. They were still coming to the temples. They were still offering their offerings. And they're going, God, we got the form. Why aren't you receiving these offerings? Meanwhile, they're divorcing. Meanwhile, they're marrying whoever they want. Meanwhile, they're, they're operating however. And they're going, God, we have the form. And God goes, I don't care about your form. I care about your heart. I care about the substance. First Samuel puts it like this. Think about this. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Did you get that? To listen to the commands of God, to obey what he calls from us is better than sacrifice. We can bring sacrifice after sacrifice, have form after form after form. Yet our lives and our hearts are disconnected from him and what he says. And to listen is better than the fat of rams. See, in Malachi's day, what's taking place here is the Israelites were going, God, what you provided for us is not what we want. So therefore, we're going to take matters into our own hands and marry who we want and divorce our wives and wreck our families because it suits me best. It's what's best for me. And here's what I want us to hear, because I think this passage can create a lot of confusion. What is really taking place? The Israelites, their radical individualism had affected their covenant and community in a profound way. What did they want? They wanted what was best for them. Not for the covenant community. I'll do it my way. I'll marry who I want. I'll issue a divorce here. Why? Because it's expedient and self-serving. Now hear me. I know we don't deal with radical individualism at all. <laughs> right? I guess so here, you can laugh there. No, we're just like them. The story of the Israelites over and over and over in the Bible is our story. Right? We are a forgetful people. We're wondering. We care about us. Me. Not we. And God's going, listen. Isn't there one father over us? Isn't there one Lord over us? And how did their selfishness play out? Look at it. Verse 10. Why then are we faithless to one another? There's the point of this passage. Your faithlessness before God, that's playing out in your faithlessness here horizontally. You want to know that you don't understand the vertical covenant that you think you have down with the form, right? The substance plays out one to another. It plays out in your relationships with one another. So essentially what Malachi is saying here is this, that you're selfish, you're arrogant, and you're not caring for one another. And I have two evidences of this, that you'd intermarry and that you'd divorce at the drop of a hat. 
He could have used a number of things to illustrate this point in Israel, but he uses these two, the deepest covenant that that we can have on earth. You see, we tend to think that if we get the vertical stuff right, then the horizontal will work out. Surely, surely if we can just figure this out, right? Have the right activity here, sacrifices, practices here, then this will work out. No, what God is saying here is this takes intentionality. This relationship takes work. Look twice, he says here, guard yourself. Guard this. Understand that you might have the form, but not have the substance of what really God wants to do in your life if it's not apparent here. If it's not apparent in your marriage, it's not apparent in your relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ. See, uh, Jesus, he put it like this in John 13, verse 35. He says, this is the evidence. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, that you're, you're my church, you're my nation, You follow me. How how will people know? What was the distinctive for the nation of Israel, right? Their obedience to Yahweh and his commands. What's our distinctive as a people? Our love for one another. Our love for each other. Now listen, this is talking about within the church. We're not talking about loving people outside the church. Yes, we love people outside the church. But specifically in Malachi and then in John, it's talking about us as believers, one to another. How are people going to know that you're a disciple of Jesus, that you love each other? People on the outside, the watching world, will not know that we are believers in Jesus Christ based upon our theology and good doctrine. Those things are very important. But how are they going to peer in and know that we follow Jesus? We love one another. That's the gate. That's the door. And then guess what? They're going to see our love. They're going to see our affection for one another. And then they're going to go, why do you love each other like that? Why do you care for each other? Why do you serve one another like that? Then the best theology in the world, because Jesus Christ has saved us and redeemed us, that he first served us and then called us to serve one another. That we don't love first here. We love first because we have been loved first by him. And then we love one another. You see, many of you even came this morning, even into this gathering, because you believe it's about you. You want to get fed. You want to get something out of it. You, you, you want to personally meet with Jesus. And, and, and I do too. Those aren't all bad. They're just not complete. They're not a complete picture of what God does when he saves us. Like this is not a product. Hear me. This gathering church is not a product for you to consume. What you're part of here when God saves you is a covenant community to participate in. To love one another, to serve one another. How many of you came here this morning saying, I'm just going to love the people around me as I go to the Parks Church? Seriously. I'm going to come there and I'm going to encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm even going to pre-think of some encouraging words to say to people. How many of you thought like that? How many of you came in here thinking, okay, how do I serve? How How do I lay down my life for them? How am I going to pray for those who are sick or hurting among me or needy emotionally, physically? However, how many of you came in with that mentality? Listen, that's what God wants from us. That's what God wants his church to look like. You know that, right? That's what he wants us to come with a love and an honor for one another. 
How are people going to know who we are? Our love. Our love for one another. Okay, Kyle, how do we do this? How do we, how do, we do this? Well, all we have to do is go back one verse, and Jesus tells us. Don't you love that? Let me read it first. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Leave that there. Um, and I know this is online, but I hate verses like that. I hate commands like that, right? Jesus, the God of the universe, going, how do you love? You love like I've loved you, right? It's like Ephesians 5, when I stand up at weddings and I'm like, listen, husbands, here's how God has called you to love your wife, as Christ has loved the church. Go do it. Right? You're just like, oh, okay, right? And <laughs> thankfully, Jesus knows that we're going to mess that up. As husbands and wives, he knows that we are going to fall significantly short of that Ephesians 5. But hear me. The reason Jesus lays that out there is he goes, I'm your motivation. I'm the one who did all of those things perfectly for you. And I'm your model. I'm your model. That when we peer into Jesus's life, when we look at how he loved, when we look at how he laid his life down for the church, that is the model by which we follow. That's what we pick up. That's what we take on when we are called to love one another. Jesus is our motivation and our model. We are to love each other like Christ loved the church, laying down our lives for one another to serve, to show a watching world a different picture than what's taking place in a lot of faith families. God, help us as a community. Let us as a church understand that we have been made a family. For Israel, that they had been made a nation, called out, chosen to be a different picture. We've been called out as a church to be a different picture. That we have the same Father. We have the same Savior. We have the same Spirit inside of us, pulling us together, unifying us, calling us to love one another. Not to forget and be faithless, but to be reminded and to be faithful. Be faithful before God and be faithful one to another. And here's how I want to end, just by reading really Paul's prayer in 2 Corinthians. I'm just going to read one verse for us. 2 Corinthians thirteen eleven to the church in Corinth. Finally, brothers and sisters... Rejoice. And in Corinthians, if you know the Corinthian letters, Paul lays down some, some like truth on them. He says, rejoice, church. Rejoice when you walk through Malachi and see the faithfulness of God. Rejoice, church. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. <laughs> what? Agree with one another? That's counter. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Man, what a beautiful picture that would be. Let me pray for us. Father, God, I thank you for your word that illuminates so many um, 
crevices and nooks and crannies um, in our lives, but also in our community. Father, I, I, I must confess, I feel that we as a church, we do the vertical things pretty well. We've got the head thing down. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to do better at loving one another, serving one another, honoring one another, encouraging, agreeing with one another, speaking life and peace to one another. And God, I pray as that happens by the power of your spirit, that it would be, it would be clear to a watching world who we belong to. That we belong to a God who extends the grace and mercy of his son to all who will call upon his name. And so, Lord, my prayer is really simple this morning, but really hard. God, give us the faith to love one another well. Give us the faith to love one another as we have been loved by your son, Jesus. God, help us to not be condemned as a faithless people because we've forgotten the grace and mercy we've been extended. That we've forgotten the goodness and the sweetness of our salvation. Oh God, help us to live those very difficult, messy lives and relationship in this covenant community. Father, apart from you, we can do nothing. And so I'm, I'm asking that you would change our hearts and shape our hearts individually so that we might live this out corporately. Pass your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.